Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas that are sometimes informational, sometimes inspirational, and always entertaining on Stacy Connects. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stacy Connects. It is July 19th. So a reminder to all of you listening, today is, or actually I should say every day uh, that we record, this show is about making connections through conversation. I love myself a conversation. I am in uh, Veranda Beach, which is in Oroville, Washington, and the amount of conversations that I've gotten into this week are ridiculous. Uh, but as I always say, by asking questions, instead of making assumptions, we might learn something. So thanks again to all that listen to the show and to the podcast. If you enjoy them, please share. And a reminder that you can also listen to my show that is with Eric called Don't Ask Me to Talk, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, remember that you can call live into the show by calling 425-373-5527. You can also connect with me via text or leave me a voicemail at 475-999-2726. So my guest today is Austin Okay, now that you told me how it rhymes with spinach, pasinich, right? Yes. Oh, okay, freaked out a little bit. I am very, <laughs> I, like, if there's that panic where you're like, okay, I know what he said, but I got to get my mouth around this word. Um, I am excited to talk with you, Austin. You are a 17-year-old artist, and for those that follow my show, you know that I am a big fan of art, and I come from a long line of artists, and so it is a favorite topic. But first, let's discuss some conversations from the last week. So remember last week when we were talking about who would win a contest between Usain Bolt and Joey Chestnut if it was eat a hot dog and then run 100 meters. I know you remember, Eric. Absolutely. And I, so, if you're going to tell me that this event has now taken place in the last week, my mind is going to be absolutely blown. Okay. Well, <laughs> then you're going to have a semi-small explosion because it did take place, although not with Joey Chestnut or Usain Bolt. It happened between Will, who posed this question to begin with, and one of his buddies. So yeah, they, nowhere near as exciting. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry. Curiosity. They were like, Austin, I don't know if you heard about this last week. We, my son posed the question, who would win in a contest between Joey Chestnut, which if you don't know who he is, he is a uh, competitive eater. And every year, pretty much for the past like 10 or 15 years, he's won the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And then you see Bolt is uh, a sprinter and like the fastest man alive. So the question was who would win if they had to eat a hot dog, which Joey Chestnut can do in like seconds and then run a hundred meter dash. So they determined that Joey Chestnut would win because the hot dog piece they found 
was very difficult. And so that gives him a significant leg up, so to speak. For one hot dog. I I don't know, man. Like scarfing down a hot dog if you're not used to it. So I I I'm sorry, but I, I, I think this is the most unscientific <laughs> of 100%. experiments for sure. Hundred percent. It is absolutely ridiculous. My money's and still on Usain Bolt. I I am actually I agree with you, and also I think that my son and his friends are might be idiots for even bothering to try this <laughs> because I'm like, did you just fall over with like a stomach ache and a stitch? Like, what the heck? But you know, I guess boys will be boys or men will be men, whatever. Um, but I just thought I would follow up on that. Okay, now as I mentioned, I am at Veranda Beach. So it's, uh, our house is kind of on a lake and there's a pool and, you know, all the kind of dirty dancing type summer fun that you can hope for. And the best kind of fun that you can have though is people watching. And there's this fun game that you can play in Seattle. You can play a game where you try to decide if somebody is homeless or a hipster because they, essentially look the same and they're probably carrying a whole foods bag. So it's hard to tell like homeless or hipster, homeless or hipster. So here you get to play the, are they married? This is at the pool, by the way, are they married? Do they have kids or are they single? Because on the weekends, the uh, I'll say 30 to 40 somethings are out in full force and you can't tell like, who belongs to who and are they married and are they playing with the kids because it's because it's their friends, kids, and they're being like a cool uncle or are they doing it because they're trying to show off their, Hey, I'm really good with kids prowess. Like what's going on. And um, I will tell you, it's not as easy as a game as you would think it would be. Although on Saturday, I think, uh, Pete, my husband, and Annie, my daughter, she's 26, we went to the pool in the late afternoon, and they were playing that oh-so-fun game of dude throws the football to kid that's jumping in and leaping for it and makes a big splash. You know, the one that takes over the entire pool so that nobody else can swim, that game, yeah. And they played that for a good hour, and then they finally left, and it left two guys, again, in their 30s hanging out in the pool. And at that point, neither Pete nor I were in the pool. Annie got in. And I'll tell you what, watching this guy like move towards our daughter and like he hadn't moved from his spot in the pool for like an hour. And then all of a sudden everybody left and Annie got in and he starts doing the move backwards. And I was like, oh, this is like watching your kids in their natural habitat and seeing how people react with them. And so naturally he started chatting with her. My mother who was watching from uh, the patio was like, man, he moved fast. And (laughs) he should have ate a hot dog first. And then we would have seen. Right. (laughs) Exactly. How fast he moved. Actually, he moved really fast. And by the end, of course, uh, mom got his name and was chatting with him and they were discussing what kind of scotch she drinks. So it went from guy flirting with my daughter to my mother flirting with the guy, which was interesting, (laughs) right? Which is no shocker for anybody that's listened to this show. Right, 100%. And what's funny is that I had 
I swam over near him and he was like, oh, hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I had been talking to my mom and he said, um, like, oh, is that her mom? Meaning my daughter's mom. And I was like, no, it's not her mom. It's her grandmother. (laughs) And he was like, no way. She looks like she's in her sixties at most and whatever, which of course my mom then walked down to the side of the pool because she said, I need to see what you look like. (laughs) So my mother is just awesome that way. Uh, Which leads me to the last conversation that we had. So last week, my mom had not yet arrived. And so a couple days later, we were hanging out as a family and uh, we got into, of course, reminiscing because I feel like that's what you do when you're 82. And I pulled out the one and only love letter that my dad wrote to my mom. And he was on a baseball trip, which he didn't play baseball. So I'm not sure what he was doing on this trip. But um, anyway, it made me laugh because. My mother has this lovely, lovely love letter. And so I said, well, while he was away on this weekend trip, what did you do? And she said, oh, I probably went to a dance with another boy. (laughs) And I was like, are you kidding, mom? And she said, well, do I have to remind you that I was voted class flirt? And the answer is no. Anybody that spends time with her knows that she was voted class flirt. In fact, She was hanging out on the veranda the other night here and two guys were playing baseball. And she said, would it be rude to ask them, do you ever miss? And I was like, okay, that's not rude. That is you flirting with two guys that are like 19. And I don't really feel like you need to do that. So it has been uh, a whirlwind with mom and all of her flirting and, you know, I'm 82, help me, Um, which is fine. As always, therapy will happen when she leaves. It'll be great. Um, So yeah, it has been very fun. And the conversations that we have had have been amazing. Um, I think next week I'm going to see if I can get her to come on the show because she'll still be in town. And that would be one for the record books, I think. Um, And her friend Lee is here and she is one of the OG members of the GLOP, the glorious ladies of Penswood. And so she could be on the show too. So I might have to bump my guest next week. Kind of feel bad. Uh, Anyway. Okay. So that's kind of it. Basically, I feel like I've been treading water all week, um, having ridiculous conversations with all kinds of people um, and, you know, sort of walking around trying to navigate um, mom's visit and life and work and all that kind of stuff. So it hasn't been a spectacularly exciting week, but honestly, isn't that what vacation and summer is for? I don't need spectacular all the time. So, but you did get to witness that groundbreaking hot dog, (laughs) hundred yard uh, dash uh, breakthrough research. Well, I unfortunately, I I did not actually get to witness it. I heard about it, and oh, thank you for reminding me. The other ridiculous thing that I did this week is I got into a. YouTube wormhole, which I'm sure all of you have done, and somehow ended up finding this channel called like The Pearl Hunter. And it's this woman in China who goes to 
rivers and streams and finds these massive plate-sized oysters and she pulls all these colorful pearls out of them. So naturally I became curious. Turns out on Amazon for $24.95, you can get 30 oysters and you'll get a different color pearl. And so I had to do that. And so Will was shucking oysters and trying to get pearls. <laughs> I mean, I was curious. Yeah, that's and, a fun uh, game. Right? I mean, it's a little ridiculous. It's a lot of work to get 30 pearls, and mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Um, I'd be more suspicious if they were pre-drilled so that you could put a string through them. But he said they were not. So, um, so these are the things. I, I'm just curious how this arrives this is a box of fresh oysters from Amazon. I mean, they're fast, well, but well, don't they spoil? So the oysters come in these individual baggies, he said. And I haven't seen them yet because they they went to uh, our home address in uh, on the east side. Okay. And so he got a box. And in the box are these individual baggies that were sealed. And there was kind of some moisture in there. And... He said the, you know, he would open up the shell and shuck it. And the meat, he said, it definitely is like not the kind of oyster that you want to eat. Um, You know, they're definitely harvested for purposes of pearls, I guess. So, all right. Well, I'm sure your house is smelling great. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. I know. Good luck. Well, Thanks. Thanks, Eric. You're always so sympathetic to my various adventures. I just, I get curious, seriously. If somebody likes to see something that's like you've never seen before and you're curious about it, check out the Pearl Hunter, not sponsored, should be, because I've watched a bunch of videos and it's fascinating watching her shuck these oysters and pull out like 20 pearls, all amazing different colors, pinks, blues, red, black, gray, white. Um, It's really fascinating. And it's, um, it's very soothing and calming. It's my bedtime story. Anyway, I digress. So let's take a break. And then when we come back, we are going to chat with Austin and we are going to talk about him and his art. We'll be right back with Stacy Connects. Looking to reconnect with your partner, spouse, kids, or self? When the disconnect seemingly has been there for a lifetime and is impacting your relationships, it's difficult to determine how and where to start. But At The Root with Greg Kuyper of Kuyper Counseling is the perfect first step. Throughout each episode, Greg talks about establishing emotional connection with ourselves and others. He offers experience, advice, explanation, and resources to listeners. You can find past episodes on his website, KuiperCounseling.com or through his YouTube channel, Connection Through Awareness with Greg Kuiper. Stacy Connects, it's not just my business, it's my superpower. Whether you need the right tone and messaging for a new venture or you've plateaued with your current one, I can help. I connect clients with themselves and their potential. Then I identify unique solutions that translate your brand into messaging that connects your target audience with your business. Go to stacyconnects.com to connect with me and your messaging. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Stacy Connects. So during the break, Austin 
You were telling me that you just got back from a canoe trip, you said? Yes. This is my fifth annual year going on a South Puget Sound canoe trip with a group of 20 people. And we all paddle to different South Puget Sound state parks and islands, bring all our gear, camp outside. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, And you say, what did you do again? You harvested what? Oysters, as you just brought up. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And did you find any pearls? Uh, No, we just found dinner. I mean, honestly, that is fair. I feel like oysters are like polarizing. People either like them and they're good or they're like, no way. They were delicious. I bet they were. I mean, nothing like a fresh catch of the day. Uh, So as I mentioned, you are an artist. So trips like that, do they inspire some of the things that you paint? Absolutely. I love surrounding myself in nature and wildlife, and that definitely shows through in my art. I love capturing the beauty of the world and vibrant colors as a common theme in my art, and there's so much vibrancy out on a trip like that. Oh, absolutely. So um, so a little background on you. You are an, um, an artist. You primarily use as your medium acrylics on canvas. Yes. Right? You love color, and uh, you even have a website, which we can get to and share with everybody. But at 17, you are, you have uh, an Etsy shop where you sell, you show in local galleries and stores. You know, you have really gotten out there, which is impressive both for your age and as an artist, which is something else that I want to ask you about. But first, how did you get into art? I started painting when I was about seven, and I've always just really enjoyed it. I've had a ton of fun with it. I found that the more and more I paint, um, the better I got, and the better I got, the more I enjoyed it. And it's just been a really cool cycle of getting into it further and further and improving at it and having lots of fun with it the whole way through. And the funny thing is that neither of my parents are artists, but I've always been surrounded by a lot of art, going to art festivals, attending so much art events that are in the Pacific Northwest. And that's really inspired me to take up my own art and make a business out of it as well. So it's been a lot of fun. That's amazing. Well, I know, as I mentioned, uh, so my grandfather was a painter. He uh, worked in oils. I think he very rarely worked in acrylics. He did a lot of watercolors. Uh, My uncle, he's more of an artisan. He does woodworking. My father was a photographer. Um, My brother is a photographer. My sister-in-law is a painter. I mean, ridiculous amounts of artists. And I find that your ability does not always shine through in typical mediums. Like my mom is not a artist per se, but she can set a mean table and, you know, how she decorates her home and everything. There's an artistic Um, eye there, a talent. And so art can show itself in interesting ways. Did you, you know, typically a kid at seven is somehow introduced to this um, by an art class. And it was like, hey, I want to do this. I really like art class at school or um, some relative. What was the, the impetus for you to start at seven? I think it's been attending local events and art festivals. Um, As I mentioned, I have a lot of art in my house and around me, and although neither of my parents are artists, there's always been a huge inspiration because our whole family likes art, 
And mm-hmm. so being able to see and meet other Pacific Northwest artists in person, talk to them about how they create art, meet them at a show they're at, um, has a, been a huge inspiration for me. And I've, as I got into it, as I started taking up my own paintings, it's just been super cool to be able to have a network and a connection of other local artists and talk with them about my art and share them and learn from them as well. So it's super cool, the whole process. Absolutely. So typically a lot of artists go through kind of an evolution of, you know, okay, when I started, I worked with this and then I found that I was inspired by this. Did you find your medium right away? Did you start with acrylics on canvas and like, you were like, yes, this is what I like. I went for color at the very beginning. So I've always really loved vibrancy. And my favorite thing about acrylics is just how vibrant it is, how Mm -hmm. I can layer color on top of color and really create a piece that pops. And so acrylic has always been something I've been drawn to since I was about seven, eight years old. Okay, got it. And in the beginning when you did this, you must have shown a proficiency for it. And so your parents then supported you by continuing to buy you supplies, I imagine, and uh, and really letting you have the, the space and um, ability to explore it. Have you taken any formal lessons? I took a few classes at Kirkland Art Center, especially when I was younger and just starting. Um, but it's just been a cycle of getting into it further and further and um, enjoying it that way. Yeah. Trial and error is, uh, it's the best way to learn. Yes. Uh, so then what I think is fascinating, and I, I mentioned this a little bit ago that I was curious about this. So for instance, my sister-in-law, Sky Kim, she is an artist. She is in her forties. She has been, uh, painting and creating her entire life and is finally represented by a gallery that's in Manhattan and, you know, whatever. And there's that whole business side of being an artist that can be really difficult uh, for the artist's temperament, Um, setting up a website, setting up a shop as you have on Etsy, uh, getting your work wherever you can, wherever you can get it. Is that something that, uh, that you've had help with that your parents kind of helped you navigate? How did you figure that piece out? One really cool program I was a part of in high school is last year for my sophomore year, I joined DECA club and in DECA, I was tasked to create a 20 page business growth plan about how I can grow my business. And so there's all sorts of different categories you can compete in in DECA. And that's what I chose because I really wanted to grow and expand my art business and get myself out there even more. And so at the time when I was first writing my DECA business growth plan, it was January of 2021. I had my art in four different local shops. There was like a one coffee shop or there was a chiropractor office that had some of my paintings hanging up on the walls and for sale There was one gallery that had a couple like cards and prints and pieces in, but four shops in January 2021. I realized there was so much potential to get into more shops, do more events and art festivals, because in 2020, I didn't do any in-person events. I applied for several art festivals and most all of them canceled. I didn't have anything all year. Right. And so as part of my DECA business growth plan, I was tasked to 
brainstorm all sorts of ways I could grow my business, which made it a super practical project. And so one of the goals was to get my art into more local businesses, retail shops, and galleries. And currently my art's in 33 different shops. So in just over a year and a half since those four shops. So it's been super cool making connections with all these different Puget Sound area shops from Everett to Tacoma um, to where I live in Kirkland and being able to share my art with others through that aspect. And then that's amazing. Other avenues that I've been growing in is more public art projects. In addition to doing paintings, I've done several murals, um, painting something on the side of a building as opposed to just on a canvas to sell. Mm -hmm. And so there's been all sorts of really cool ways that the DECA club and DECA business growth plan I had to create really helped me improve, not just as an artist, but as a business owner and an entrepreneur. That's amazing. So shout out. My son also did uh, DECA in high school and they had to uh, interview a business owner and they were not quite as um, connected, obviously, with the business as you got to be using your own business as the business that you were going to work on and build the growth plan for. So that's an amazing thing that your teacher allowed you to use your own business as that launch point, because sometimes teachers uh, can be short-sighted when it comes to these kinds of tasks and not take it seriously. So uh, high marks for the teacher that said like, yeah, let's do this. You know, you've got a viable business here and um, absolutely you should learn how to do this as a business. So if your art is in 33-ish different establishments around, Are these all original pieces? Are they prints, reproductions? Like how much art are you creating that you can keep up with the demand? It all varies. And part of being a business owner was also being able to merchandise my pieces. So when I create one painting, I'll probably have 10 different products from that painting. So of course I have the original. Oftentimes my originals are a commission, so I've sold them before I even finish painting them. But then I create canvas prints, or paper prints that I'll frame. I have a framing set up in my office in the house that I am able to be able to create all sorts of print framing options. And then I've been able to do stickers and magnets, greeting cards, and all sorts of smaller products that if someone doesn't want to buy a full or doesn't have space on their wall to fit a two-foot, three-foot, or four-foot painting, they can buy a sticker to put on their water bottle or a greeting card to send someone. And so it's been cool being able to take my art and my paintings and turn them into all different products that can be sold, not only hanging on the walls of restaurants or coffee shops, but in a little gallery store or a retail shop or all sorts of different types of businesses. And the diversity and the huge variety of products and the huge variety of shops that I'm in is a really, really cool part that I've grown in the last few years. That's amazing. So influences. So, you know, in, it sounds like in your family, your family is super supportive, but they're not necessarily um, artists, as you said, what influences uh, you mentioned that local artists and people that you meet are a huge source of inspiration and mentorship for you. Do you have any particular artists that you look to for inspiration or ideas? Yes, and that is the artist that I've gotten to meet in person. 
So doing art festivals, I've met tons and tons of artists. We know a glass blower super well that we have a couple pieces from. And we've talked to him about how he does all sorts of shows and applying for festivals. And glass blowing is totally different than painting, but there's so many aspects that overlap. Um, and so there's been so many artists that I've met and also artists that I've seen around the city. So if I've gone to some of my favorite shops and businesses and I've seen other artists, um, and there's some also not only artists that are at shows, artists that are at shops I'm in, but I also really like murals and I love public art. And so I don't know if you know Ryan Henry Ward. He's a pretty prolific muralist in Seattle that's painted over 600 murals. Um, wow. There's another artist named Michael Burauer. He's got a gallery in downtown Seattle. And both artists create a lot of public art. They have their art out there in the city, on walls, on murals. And they both use a lot of really, really vibrant colors. And so I love vibrancy, as you know. <laughs> and I love mm -hmm. artists that use vibrancy, whether that's glass blowing or on a mural or in products that are in shops. Sure. Tell me the names of the two artists again, because of course now I have to look them up. Ryan Henry Ward and okay. Michael Bierauer. And they're both super awesome. I've met both of them in person. Um, and they're both super, super huge inspirations and role models from the business side and the art side and everything in between. Sure. Now, uh, there's a uh, Banksy show that I think is coming to Seattle if it hasn't already arrived. Um, are you a fan of Banksy and the the public art and street art that Banksy does? I know it's darker. It's not as vibrant as yours. And it's more, uh, you know, statement about things. Uh, but are you familiar and do you like his work? I love all public art because the more art we have up on walls and in our neighborhoods, then the more colorful and vibrant and the happier places our communities can be. And so I really like public art. And I like public art that tells a message or gets something across. And so one mural that I painted was to raise awareness for salmon sustainability. I painted a 112-foot mural across from Juanita Beach Park in Kirkland. And the thing I love about public art is you can use it as a platform to raise awareness for things that you're passionate about. And I know Banksy does that a lot with his art. And that's something that I'm trying to do is really turn a mural or a painting into a mural with a purpose or a painting that tells someone something or they drive by it every day on their daily commute and it reinforces something or gets something across that art has the power to do. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I love doing, I'm from the East Coast originally, and you know, New York, obviously prolific uh, graffiti and wall art and that kind of thing on the High Line. Um, when you walk it, there is a ton of art that is there. And it's uh, what's awesome is that the space is utilized to uh, have that urban setting and especially with the High Line and then to have some nature and plants and everything, but then to have that sculpture or wall art or whatever. So what are your thoughts then on graffiti and when people tag buildings and that kind of thing? Um, do you have an opinion on, on that? I think art is a really, really cool way to build community. And I think the more people we can involve in the creation of art, the stronger our communities can be. So back to the mural I painted in Kirkland, we hosted a community paint day for the Save Our Salmon mural 
um, at Juanita Beach Park. And the goal was just to involve as many people from ages 4 to 74, young and old, experienced artists, to people who may not have very much experience even holding a paintbrush. And Mm -hmm. so I believe there's so many people who maybe aren't into art right now or um, have been an artist their whole life that can all help make the community stronger. And the more people we can involve um, to help create public art and everything from murals to um, any sort of style of art around the city is a really, really good way to strengthen the city. Yeah, I have this thing. I have a friend um, who has a deli, Dingfelder's Delicatessen in Seattle, in um, Cap Hill. And the side of his building, it's a, a constant battle where a lot of people will put graffiti on it or will tag it. And, you know, my thing is stop fighting against it and lean into it. And like, you know, write a note and spray paint on your own wall that says like, if you're going to do this, at least do something that's like on theme or that's interesting, like invite the people that creative clearly have this creative itch uh, and inkling and have them do something, you know, work together to create a canvas that, uh, these people can work with, uh, even the walls inside, you know, I'm like, never met a blank wall that I didn't feel compelled to pill to fill with something. Definitely. And I'm the same way. I always love seeing how spaces can transform into something um, brighter and cooler for the community when art becomes a part of them. Right. So, uh, you mentioned that you do both, uh, pieces that you're inspired to do by, the surrounding Pacific Northwest area. And then you also mentioned that you do commissioned pieces. So how do you typically do that? Do they give you, uh, does a client say, hey, I want, you know, a painting of this and they give you a picture and you do then a painted reproduction or are they just giving you some inspo and saying, I want a picture of a lake with a boat and, you know, a this and a that. Well, I've got a pretty long list of a bunch of paintings that I'm tackling right now, um, all different commissions or different pieces that I'm working on. And a lot of people I meet at a show or art festival, and they'll give me some ideas for a piece. And I like to do, um, because I'm a business owner as well as an artist, I like to do commissions that are something generic enough, maybe like one of my paintings is a town in Italy called Vernazza, Italy. Um, Love that painting. Another painting I did is of a sea turtle. Another painting is um, a beach triptych scene. And all these were different commissioned pieces that someone had an idea for a certain space. They said, I want a painting of a turtle or something specific in mind. But it's still something that I'm able to, once that painting's done, make prints of it, turn it into a sticker or a card or a canvas print. And so I like to do paintings that I can merchandise and that even though it's inspired by someone or someone specific commissioned me to create the piece, I like to create art that I can continue to share with more people and bring to others as well. Because it's most meaningful to see that there's so many people that have my painting in their home um, as opposed to just one person um, with one specific painting. Sure. Now, do you have to get permission from the... Uh, person that commissions it and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to be 
using this and merchandising it? Or is it like people know that if you're going to get a painting done by Austin, you're going to um, know that he's going to merchandise it and, and sell it? Yeah. So that's what I do with all my paintings is I um, always try to create something that will work well in that format. And so that's, that's the commissions that I generally tend to um, really like doing. Got it. Um, so I feel like, you know, you're the guy that needs to go to like the Caribbean or to Cuba or, you know, to these places that have all of these crazy uh, colors and the buildings and um, that have a tropical vibe because of the colors that you gravitate to as an artist. Um, have you had an opportunity to travel places like that? I have been to the Dominican Republic on a school trip. It was called Spanish Service and Adventure in that order. So we immersed ourselves in Spanish language and culture. We met with a lot of the locals. Um, we did service aspect as well. So really volunteering in the communities. We helped paint um, the sides of a school in Dominican Republic. Um, and then adventure, of course, we had a ton of fun um, tourists and all the amazing things you can only do in the Dominican Republic. And so there's so much color in places like that that I really love um, being able to incorporate in my art as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, when I see the work that you do, uh, especially uh, the one of the Italian city and the yellow house, they just remind me of, you know, like Miami and Cuba and, you know, the Caribbean and Bermuda and those places that those light colors are so vibrant. Um, and, you know, your work is suited for that. Um, okay, let's take a break here. And of course, I'm going to keep peppering you with questions because <laughs> I am, I'm fascinated. As I said, I love the fact that you are, uh, you're an artist and a business person, and that is so smart. So keep listening to Stacy Connects, and we're going to continue our conversation with Austin. We'll be right back. Stacy Heller is many things, entertaining yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style, practical like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to StacyConnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. Too many relationships are adversely affected by wounds from our past. Lack of connection, unhappiness, shame, and regret are just some of the fallouts we experience when we choose to avoid addressing those wounds. Greg Kuiper of Kuiper Counseling is a psychotherapist committed to reestablishing connection with self to create greater connection with others. His work with teens, individuals, couples, and those struggling with substance use. If you struggle with old wounds or unhealthy narratives, get to the root of them in yourself by contacting Greg Kuiper at KuiperCounseling.com. That's KuiperCounseling.com. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com.
Welcome back to Stacy Connects. I am with Austin Pasinich. Wait, did I? Okay, I messed it up. Pasinich. <laughs> Pasinich. Pasinich. Oh my gosh, it, it's like it's once a tough you one. forget. It is a tough one, uh, which leads me to, by the way, I'm a big fan of your signature. Yes. Uh, so how did you come up with that as your signature? I've had the same signature since I was about seven or eight when I started painting. And it's just a really fun, I mean, I don't really want to write out my whole last name every time I sign a painting. So I don't sign each letter. I do the P and then I do like the swirl for the H and then I dot my three I's. So I just have three dots over the line. Um, And so that's a pretty artsy, cool way. I don't know how I came up with it um, when I was seven or eight. And it's just stuck with me my whole time as I've been signing paintings. And um, I think it's a really cool way to um, stylize and symbolize me yeah. as an artsy kind of cool cool symbol Abs- and logo. Absolutely. It's, it's brilliant. And uh, I totally noticed it because I love those kinds of things. And it goes, uh, it further proves my belief that the things that you are doing and that inspire you when you're seven or eight, uh, as we get older, you're not there yet, Austin. Uh, but like with me in my fifties, uh, when I think about what I liked to do when I was seven or eight, it was talk. And now without even realizing it, I have gravitated back to the thing that made me happy when I was a kid before people told me that I couldn't do it or I wasn't smart enough or I was a girl or, you know, whatever it was. And so, um, you know, keep with it because it's the thing that, uh, makes your tail lag, as I like to say. Now I have, um, another question for you. You are so uh, talented as an artist and so savvy as a business person. Which do you enjoy more? That's a tough question. Um, I guess the best way to answer is um, currently I'm um, doing Running Start program at Cascadia College. And my plan is I want to go into a marketing degree. And marketing is definitely more leaning towards the business side. But Marketing is such a creative thing to do every day, and I love being able to market my art business, market events like a community paint day or a mural or a project I'm working on, Um, and I love the creative side of marketing. So in a way, that's an art of its own, Um, but that's what I'm looking forward to going into in the future, either with my own business or expanding that um, with a marketing degree. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. There used to be a um, an ad agency in Seattle called uh, Wexford School for Girls, which is a completely bizarre name for an ad agency, but that's what they called it because uh, they thought Wexley School for Girls was kind of funny. And when you went buy it in Seattle, people couldn't tell if it was a Chinese food restaurant because in the window there was like fake meats hanging and it looked like a booth. And then... Uh, throughout the office, they had all of these different themes, like where they did the business stuff, they uh, built it so that it looked like a bank with like tellers and that kind of thing. Where the creatives worked, there was a um, mini golf inside through the desks, uh, where they had their team meetings, they had um, um, fake um, 
uh, grass and they had a camper and everybody would meet. So, you know, that kind of creativity where people don't feel like they have to color inside the lines is like such a huge thing. So uh, it's a great use of your talents on both sides. Um, so you have mentioned a couple times the the mural piece. You also have another project that's coming up. So tell me details about that one. Yeah. So let me rewind to the very, very beginning of the first mural because it's kind of cool. Both murals are connected and there's a um, really cool journey that's kind of evolved from the first mural into the second one. So it all started in October of 2021. I attended this really cool event called the First Tea Innovators Forum. There were 28 of us teens, each tasked with developing our own innovative community service projects to bring back to our own communities. And I knew that I loved art and I love public art. And for my community service project, I wanted to paint some sort of a mural. And I live in Kirkland. I live right next to Juanita Creek. And for years, I didn't even know Juanita Creek was there. There's a, it's a salmon spawning stream. So there's a lot of wildlife and there are salmon that spawn in Juanita Creek. But not a lot of people know about it because it's hidden and covered by trees. And so I knew that I wanted my community service project to be a mural that raises awareness for stream restoration in Juanita Creek. And so from October 2021 to April of this year, I've led and planned and created the Save Our Salmon mural. And so I've involved about 20 different nonprofits and community groups. There was a um, salmon watchers group out of the University of Washington that we involved to incorporate salmon education into the mural. And so it's been a really, really fun project On April 2nd of 2022, we hosted our Community Paint Day. We involved over 160 volunteers, as I mentioned, to help paint my design up onto the wall. So I drew the whole design up, like paint by number style, and then the community painted inside the lines and brought it all to life. And so it's super cool to, first of all, brighten up the community. Second of all, to raise awareness for an important cause and... um, really help people be aware of the stream. We had all sorts of salmon docents and educators at the paint day. We installed an educational plaque on the side of the mural that talks about the stream. Um, But then three, and maybe the coolest of all, is involving community in the creation of the public art. And the idea, the crazy vision that I had in October, being able to see it come to life and involve so many groups and so many people and have such a cool impact. And so that was amazing. I have visions of like, you know, people, if you're in a a wheelchair, you could still like ride up if you're, you know, older and you can only paint for a little while. Your design must have been like simple enough that it's going to a have a visual impact and b not too much detail for people that are all ages and abilities of painters. Yes. My goal was absolutely to design something that would be impactful and get the message across, but that would allow community volunteers with little or no experience in art to be able to help bring it to life and make it look amazing. And I did have to do some touch-up at the end and clean up the lines and lettering and details, but it's really cool seeing how it came to life in a day with all the volunteers. That's amazing. Okay, so that spawned, (laughs) see what I did there, (laughs) Um, something else. So then what happened? Yes, so... I had so much fun leading the first Save Our Salmon mural. 
we decided to do more, and we've got a second Save Our Salmon mural location in the works for this summer. The first one was across from Juanita Beach Park in Kirkland. The second one is by Animal Acres Park in Lake Forest Park. And so it's along a different stream called McAleer Creek, which is also a salmon spawning stream that has kokanee salmon, um, Chinook, and several other types that use the stream to spawn. And it's over this road. It's by Brookside Boulevard and 178th, where the creek goes underneath the road. So there was actually a culvert restoration project done several years ago on 178th, where the city restored how the creek travels underneath the road. And because of that, there were these four foot tall by 188 foot long, big concrete barricades on both sides of the road that make it so that when cars are driving by, you don't even realize that there's a stream right underneath you. And it really hides the stream and makes people not even notice it's there. And so our goal with the second mural is to raise awareness for McAleer Creek and bring more attention and paint vibrant salmon swimming up along the 188 feet of right now plain, boring concrete barricade and really brighten it up. And so we're going to host another community paint day on September 10th, which I'm super excited about. I'm working with the Lake Forest Park Stewardship Foundation to incorporate a lot of education into the event. Um, And it'll just be a really, really fun way to bring another mural to life. And I'm excited to bring this project to life and just keep growing the whole movement. It really turned from one crazy idea I had to a whole movement now that's continuing to take off. So it's a lot of fun. That's amazing. And that's exactly how uh, individuals can make an impact in the world. You know, everybody thinks that they can't, uh, you know, well, what's, what does it matter? You know, nobody's going to hear me or see me. And everybody forgets the ripple effect that one positive movement has and what can happen as a result of it. Now, um, uh, as an Issaquah resident, where the annual Salmon Days Parade is. Yes. Hello. When are we going to conquer Issaquah and the hatchery and get into the the uh, Salmon Days? Yeah, so the Issaquah Salmon Hatchery actually came to our paint day for the Kirkland mural. Um, and I'd love to get a future project for Issaquah on the works. I actually am going to have a booth in Issaquah Salmon Days Festival. I had a booth in about 12 art festivals last year. Um, I'm doing several again this year, and it's really cool that I'll be able to share my art. We have a bunch of Save Our Salmon merchandise. We created T-shirts and stickers and magnets and all sorts of products from the murals design that we've been able to sell with all the proceeds going to restoration projects. And there's a local group called North Lake Washington Salmon Watchers that's doing restoration in streams like Juanita Creek and McAleer Creek in the Lake Washington area. And so it's super cool that I was able to use my marketing to create products and merchandise from the murals design um, and bring that to other places that I'll be able to take with me to Issaquah Salmon Days Festival this summer, which I'll be at. Yes, it's always the, I think, first, um, it's always the first weekend in October, if I'm not mistaken. It's October 3rd and 4th this year. I'm looking forward to it. 
There you go. Uh, so we, we've got to start a, a groundswell movement of support for you, Austin, so that <laughs> you can do something in Issaquah as well, because, you know, that is such a, a big thing in Issaquah. And obviously they do a lot of education. My kids going through the Issaquah school district had to do um, basically the life cycle of salmon, which I think was like a second grade project, which as an East Coast person, coming here, I was like, are you kidding me? What the heck? Um, but you learned, you know, you learned so much and there's an appreciation for what is literally in our backyards and sometimes even on our plates um, and how the whole thing works. So it turns out it was an amazing project. And, uh, you know, I learned so much from it through my kids. So I think the work that you're doing is amazing. Um, so, how many projects are you working on? I mean, do you sleep? Do you play a video game? Do you ever get in trouble? Like, do you eat junk food? Like, <laughs> I love what I do. And since I love creating so much, it's easy to just take on all these really, really fun projects that I have a ton of fun with it and really enjoy. So I love the diversity. I guess that definitely helps um, having so much variation. And some days I'll be working on an acrylic painting on canvas. Some days I'll be designing new stickers or magnets. Some days I'll be working on a mural design and other days I'll be leading a community paint day. So there's so much variation in having an art business that it never gets tiring and it's always really, really fun. Love it. Uh, now, inquiring minds want to know, is orange your signature color, much the same way that Tiger Woods used to wear red on the last day of any golf tournament he was in? I notice that you wear orange on your website today for the show in the video that you have on your website. Coincidence or choice? Uh, definitely something that I started doing by coincidence, and then it became my, my thing, that I'm the painter kid at art festivals that wears orange. And so it's kind of a cool branding or the way that people recognize me, um, and it's just something that I've begun to acquire is wearing orange. And I love that it's a vibrant, colorful color that um, just makes people happy. So that's what I love about it. So Austin, here's the deal. You need to get an embroider embroidery machine and then load up your design of your signature. And then you can literally have signature polos or t-shirts <laughs> that have your signature on them. Huh? Very cool. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, I look this, the kind of thing that you talk about and what you like to do, that is also to a certain degree, what I do for a living, working with people and seeing what potential they have to really run with their service or their product. And so it is so exciting for me to see somebody who is creative in how they see the world and how they approach the world. It is, um, it's a really exciting thing. Um, you know, that is, that's a life skill that so many people, uh, no matter what their age is, don't have. And, uh, creative problem solving and positivity and putting good things out in the world. It's like, hello. I mean, you're like a poster child, um, but probably not because you're human too. So <laughs> share your information so that if people want to check out your art, learn more about this second uh, community paint day in September, where can they find all this? Yes. So my website is austinsart.net. 
I also have uh, Instagram at austins.awesome.art and then a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. My YouTube channel has a lot of really cool time-lapse videos and process videos, interviews, and all different cool videos I've done. And those are both as Austin's Awesome Art. And for the Lake Forest Park mural that I'll be creating in September, you can go to austinsart.net slash salmon mural, or just go to my website, austinsart.net. It'll be the first thing that pops up. And you can sign up as a volunteer to be a part of our paint day. You can donate to our GoFundMe. We're fundraising um, to help bring the mural to life for costs of supplies and mural making materials for that. Um, or you can just be involved and come to the event and be a part of it. And then my Etsy shop is also on my website where you can purchase my art, paintings, or merchandise as well. Amazing. Amazing. You're amazing. You're awesome, Austin. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you to Eric. And we'll see you next week. And maybe I'll have my mom on. We'll see. Stay connected, folks. Stay connected, folks.